Oh, yeah. Feels good every time. It's a visceral pleasure. And that's what we're here for. Bushmasters, welcome. This is Semi-Indestructible, brought to you in partnership with the Wild Times Podcast, sponsored by Adventure Beast, the animated wildlife comedy series, uh, animated comedy series now streaming on Netflix all around the world. Welcome, Bushmasters. Always good to be with you. As always, let's start with a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, today's show is going to be epic. We're going to be talking about survival, uh, hunting, and foraging, uh, you know, basically how you stay alive in the bush. Um, we had to answer some questions from last week. Uh, I did make a mistake. I was talking about my bug bite and insect envenomation kit. What do I always have on me when I'm in the bush? And I have several things. As I mentioned, if I get zapped by something, whether it's a wasp or a centipede, first thing I do is I take some ibuprofen. I drink some electrolytes, Gatorade, whatever you prefer, doesn't matter. Wrap, slap a little bit of steroid cream on it. And one thing I forgot to mention last week was to take an antihistamine. So take an antihistamine, uh, doesn't matter what it is, a Zyrtec or any other brand that you prefer. I find that does the job almost every time. If it still continues to get hot and swollen after that, then that's second phase play and you need to seek uh, proper medical attention. If you don't know what you're doing, definitely get out of the bush and get to a medical center and, uh, and check it out. Spider bites, sometimes not a big deal, sometimes a very big deal. But if it really starts to get red and hot and swollen, it's a possibility that you've been bitten by something that could cause necrosis. And you really want to stop your body from rotting off your bones uh, whenever you can. Anyway, forgot to say the antihistamine. That's a, a crucial element. A lot of people pissed at me for telling Billy that I didn't like superhero films. So I want to explain myself. It's not that I don't like them. It's that I really don't like them. Now, I'm a hypocrite because I laughed my ass off watching Iron Man and I shed a manly tear watching the Avengers Endgame. But most of them, I think, are garbage. However, I do enjoy the spectacle of light and noise. My real issue is not with the repetitive, um, you know, just this perpetual regurgitation of the same story again and again. That's the same as any film buff. You've got that same criticism of a lot of these superhero films. My real issue is the superheroes that are based on animals, and that's how they got their powers. Um, Spider-Man, I absolutely hate him. He's so boring. He only has two eyes. That doesn't make any sense if he's part spider. He has no venom, makes no sense. He can't fart out silk from his anus. Again, he's an incredibly disappointing creature to me. Can't listen through the hairs on his legs. Um, hasn't got any claws. I mean, got no urticating hairs on his back. Even I have those. So Spider-Man's a joke. But, I mean, the, probably the, the classic example is, is the Hulk. You know, the whole idea about the Hulk is that somehow uh, through radiation-induced uh, chromothripsis, he's harnessed these genetic gifts of all sorts of amazing real animals, including uh, sea cucumbers, uh, which, as you know, are the Christmas turds of the sea. Now, that's great because uh, sea cucumbers, as you know, they can quickly regenerate tissue, you know, nerves and organs after they're attacked. A lot of animals would like to eat them and do. Um, and most importantly, as far as Hulk fans are concerned, they have these super elastic collagen proteins in their bodies that can be stretched to absolutely ridiculous lengths and then return back to normal size without destroying every cell in their body, which would happen to pretty much any other animal. So that makes sense, okay? Because Hulk, he needs to grow to pants-splitting uh, pant size whenever he's angry and then somehow, you know, uh, absorb a ton of punishment um, and then rejoin his little spandex wearing buddies. So I, I get that they go, okay, here's a quality, a real quality from a real animal that's amazing, and I'm going to put this into this fictional superhero. The problem I have then is how, again, how freaking boring the Hulk is because he's missing, I would argue, the most impressive aspect of a cucumber's being, which is weaponized lungs and intestines, which... It can blow out of his anus at will, and they're just incredibly sticky, toxic guts, and they can entangle and suffocate enemies. Um, you can't tell me that the Hulk wouldn't be truly incredible if he could blow those toxic, weaponized guts out of his anus in order to defend himself. So that's why I hate superheroes. Billy loves them. The whole world loves them. Fine, they're right, I'm wrong, but there is a method to my madness. That's why. I don't care for it. Um, but, you know, I still watch them. 
and uh, Disney and uh, and Warner Brothers still have my money. I can live with it. I'm a hypocrite. Life is complex. Life is muddy. And I love getting muddy. Today, we have a terrific show. Uh, if you want to be a Bushmaster, you need to know how to survive in the bush. We will cover every aspect of that in the course of this series. But one of the first ones is how do you feed yourself? Remember, it's not just surviving. You want to thrive. You want to eat well. You want to stay strong. The stronger you are, the more food you can gather for yourself and those you care about. It's very important to know how to survive in the bush. So, hey guys, if you're enjoying, whoops. Guys, if you like the wild times, check us out on Patreon. We put out four extra podcasts per month. That's one commute a week that you're just going to be laughing and learning the whole time in the car. <laughs> hey, let me do, do something else. This is the late night content. The stuff that we, we can't show on, on YouTube because they'll kick us off YouTube. It's the Cinemax of podcasts. <laughs> Uncensored, raw dog. It's the Cinemax of podcasts. Check it out. Link right here. Our guest today is the man who made me do this podcast. You know him and love him. He's a genuine Bushmaster. He's a great friend. And uh, he is the godfather of the Wild Times podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Forrest Galante. What an intro. Oh, my goodness. It's good to be here, buddy. How are you? Mate, it's great to see you again. It's been, uh, it's been far too long. Welcome back Agreed. from Mexico. I understand yeah, you, put, you. Put, uh, put a few hundred fish to the sword and use it to feed your family. I want to hear all about it. What were some of the highlights from Mexico? Yeah, with pleasure. Yeah, this was a really good trip. As you know, California and the West Coast in general has experienced an incredible rainy season, so much so that mm. uh, people are putting out reports as to be careful of all of the dangerous wildlife. Well, there's no dangerous wildlife, as you know. There's just a little bit more wildlife because yeah. it, we got a lot of rain and it's a great spring. And so everything, you know, the fecundancy is up and the reproductive yeah. rates are up and things are good. So we jumped in the truck. We headed down to Baja and the amount of why it's still very green, shockingly. And um, yeah, it is weird. the amount of yeah, the amount of wildlife was phenomenal. I mean, we got snakes, scorpions. I got stung by a scorpion for the first time. Oh, um, we yeah, we had first it all. Time, it was that's phenomenal. Not believe knowing you. Sorry, first time by a a desert bark scorpion. I should clarify. Yeah. Okay. Um, now that's that's now that's the most venomous scorpion in North America. That's right. Yep. And, and, talk us, talk us, talk us through it, and give us a star rating, please. Yeah. So here's here's how it went down. Um, when we go on these desert walks, I plant uh, dinosaur eggs, like little ones you buy on Amazon for my son to find so he doesn't get bored. So I walk ahead nice. and I plant a dinosaur egg every half mile or so. And that way he goes, he's able, that'll keep him hiking all day long. And, so this, um, is, this is to encourage, encourage Rhodes to stick his chubby little fingers into the scrub as you're walking through the wilds. Exactly right. And that's the only way to learn. And um, <laughs> and so on his on his third or fourth dino egg of the night, we went out at night and we were looking for boas and things and we found a few. Um, uh, he finds his egg and he goes, oh, cool. And they're like in this plaster of Paris, you know, and he's yeah, not yeah, yeah. A patient. He's not a patient boy. So he wants to smash the plaster of Paris and get to the little rubber dino as quickly as possible. So he goes, daddy, help me open it. So I reach into a hole. I reach down to grab a rock and wrap my fingers around the rock. And I've seen dozens and dozens of desert scorpions, but no hairy barks. And right. um, and sure enough, I feel this little lightning bolt zap on the tip of my finger oh. right here. And um, I, it's funny, it's still numb and it's over a week. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I, I looked, I turned my headlamp on or shine over there. And as I lift the rock up, just a tiny little bark scorpion this big is. is sitting right there. And uh, it's the only one we've seen. The whole trip is the one that zapped me on the finger. Because it and is. I mean, they do have them down there, but they're normally you don't see them at that close to the coast. It's normally uh, something you see for us out east. And we were far inland. We were at, at this point. We were on a ranch looking for bighorn sheep, so we weren't close ah. to the beach any longer. We were in the central valley of of the peninsula. But um, anyway, yeah. So I got zapped, and I didn't. I'd never been zapped before. And we had with us our friend, and she's a vet uh, who lives in Bahia where we go and mm. she goes oh that's not good and she starts telling yeah. me all of the terrible things and all of the animals that have died and children that have barely <laughs> made it and i'm like i didn't even know that's i know they're bad but i didn't know that much about it and i was like oh that's not great so i didn't make a big fuss out of it we just continued on our hike we finished up and um my whole finger 
I'll tell you, it doesn't hurt nearly as badly as some of the other things I've been bitten or stung by. Sure. But it just had this fiery, it was like there was acid under the skin. It felt like things were bubbling. Yeah, very acid. Subcutaneous, but bubbling, boiling under the skin. That that can't be good. Horrible boiling. Yeah. And anyway, we got back to the ranch around nine o'clock at night, took a couple Benadryl and uh, called it a night and slept like a go. baby my my finger's still numb but it doesn't hurt any longer and didn't did it even swell up, up overnight or yeah you know i think if i hadn't taken the antihistamine it would have yeah, yeah. uh it would have been worse but it was it was maybe one and a half times its normal size but nothing nothing outrageous i think the problem i find with the uh with the scorpions of north america not having been born here like yourself a filthy immigrant that's um, right. That's us. The problem, the challenge that I have is the lack of distinctive coloration of most of the scorpions. Mm-hmm. It's sort of varying degrees of tans and browns. Exactly. And the bark scorpion, the only telltale sign is that sort of dark strip down the middle. But right. I mean, you know, at first glance, and particularly at night with a smaller, a smaller specimen, um, yeah, because they call like the hairy scorpions are the classics. Right. And they, that, I've been stung a lot by those, obviously. Um, I say obviously. I spent a lot of time <laughs> doing a project on the scorpion mice or grasshopper mice, um, oh, the only carnivorous mice uh, we get out in the Sonoran Desert, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, they love the scorpions. And so we yep. were catching those to to bait these mice. Oh, and cool. so I got stung quite a few times. It's painful, but not the end of the world. Sure. But, the, but they say the hairy scorpion, like it's somehow, you know, Chewbacca with the stinger. It looks very <laughs> similar to the bark scorpion until you get a chance to stop and you see that distinctive strip. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the bark scorpion can be fatal with people that are small, elderly, or have saying. heart conditions. It can be absolutely yeah. fatal. Um, but it's interesting you say that it burns. I remember, I think on the Wild Times, I talked about how I got stung by a giant uh, Sonoran centipede. Mm-hmm. And the feeling that I had, it still sounds strange. I felt like there was a little bell ringing in my finger. It oh, was this, interesting. This, this kind huh. of high-pitched noise in my finger and then it was cold my finger felt very cold hmm. and um and like you went through my routine ibuprofen antihistamine electrolyte steroid mm-hmm. cream ice and yep. again it was fine but i had that cold bell ringing sensation in my finger for uh, a few days um but we're lucky with both big units and we've yep. had a fair bit of this but it, it is something you need to be careful for because had it zapped your son Right. That would that would be a very different story, wouldn't it? And we were probably if we had driven as fast as we could straight 10 hours from the nearest medical care. So oh. there was, you know, and I'm out there with my little boy. He's running around. He has he had his shoes on and everything, but he's running around, you know, picking up dino eggs and flipping over logs yeah. looking for rosy boas and yeah, I'm glad yeah. it was me and not him. You know what's funny is you mentioned that that like the cold and and that feeling. It's a feeling that until you've experienced it People don't understand it, but the feeling that your limb is dying, whether it's a finger or an appendage is dying, I should say, whether it's a finger, a toe, a foot, an arm, whatever, that feeling that the appendage is dying is such an off-putting feeling. It's just like, and you know that it's not going to go away, but you're just like, boy, this is unpleasant. (laughs) Well, you you say you hope. I mean, you're 99% sure. I remember getting bitten by a small nondescript spider in Costa Rica and bit me on on the right elbow. And no massive pain, more of an itchiness. Mm-hmm. I went through my drill. I woke up in the morning. My elbow was the size of a Nerf ball. And, and it was red hot. And I ended up going into town. I got some more steroid cream. They didn't have a doctor. I was, in, I was, uh, I was uh, near a small town called Benetia, mm-hmm. uh, just, just down the mountain from the cloud forest. And there was no doctor. There was just a pharmacist. And, and yep. he goes, oh, I don't know if that doesn't look good. I'm like, well, I know what it looks like. Can you just give me some creams? <laughs> anyway, it ended up going away, but it got so hot. And then all the skin just peeled off like it does when Ooh. you get a sunburn. When you get a Ooh. bad insect bite or a, or, or a, a bad envenomation, you usually get so swollen and so hot and the skin will just die and peel off. Mm-hmm. At that point, you're going, please just be the skin. Please right. don't ul- ulcerate. Yeah. And start to <laughs> rot away like some sort of leper. Um, and again, no offense to lepers who are fans of the show. Uh, we all love you weekly. <laughs> all of them. Just, There's so many. Despite, yeah. yeah, we do. We <laughs> a lot of lepers, um, bushmasters, and I respect that. So tell me about let's let's get into the eating part because as a man of my yeah. size, obviously I need ten thousand calories just to have this conversation. Great. When you were, I, look, you're you're the most accomplished spear fisherman I know. 
and you're also fairly handy with a rod and reel. My question yeah. is to you, what were some of the wild caught highlights that you ate while you were down there? How did you catch it or spear it and how did you prepare it? Yeah, cool. Well, um, the pitaya fruit was going, so that was always a treat just to have something sweet that you forage. But mm -hmm. the, as far as the spearing and the hunting side of it goes, you know, there's a couple things that every time I go down there, we can't live without. And so uh, one of them, anybody can do this. It's really fun. You go to some of the estuaries in the mangroves at low tide and uh, you take a, take a broom pole and zip tie a nail or a couple nails to the end of it and you gig mm -hmm. the blue swimmer crabs. Yeah. Oh. So walk around in like the ankle to shin deep water. And all of a sudden, these big fat blue swimmer crabs will go rocketing out of the sand. And then you just go over and give them a nice gig. So when you say gig, um, I think we, where I come from, we use the term jagging, but yeah. you're talking, you're basically spearing them or hooking them. Yep. Yep. Got yep. it. No. So this is just an, a sharp nail through it. So you pin it, you know, you, you hit it down and pin it to the sand. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we would say pegging. That would be pegging, but you peg it on the on the into the mud, and then you can <laughs> that's come a in. Different and grab thing it. over. That's a different thing over here, at BTG. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. That that involves a strap on, doesn't it? That's yeah, right. sure does. I remember. I remember in Australia we refer to uh, uh, Japanese built racing bikes, and this is vaguely racist, and I apologize uh, as as rice rockets, and okay. as and the smaller the smaller like two fifty cc's and below we call them pocket rockets, and then yeah. I was informed that over here that means a vibrator. So, um, you know, obviously that's not, we don't go racing on vibrators. I'm obviously talking about uh, two-stroke <laughs> <laughs> race bikes. So, yeah, okay, not pegging. Uh, you've nailed it to the deck. You can yep. come in and, and grab it between the, uh, the, the swimming legs. And yep. um, now, okay, in Australia uh, with mud crabs, obviously delicious, but we don't eat the females. How do you right. know? I, I can't sex a crab until I turn it over. The round, yeah. the round uh, a caudal flap is a female. The triangle is a male. How is that here with a blue swimmer? Do you, do you, can you tell when you, when you spear them or are you just hoping for the best? So you're just hoping for the best, except they're only egg-bearing during, I want to say, the winter or maybe it's the fall, but they're not egg-bearing this time of year. So you're not mm -hmm. seeing you know, the giant clusters of row underneath them. So not that that makes it much better, but you're just, you're gigging the big ones, letting the small ones swim. And, uh, you know, whether, exactly. whether they're females or not, you, it doesn't, it does matter, but it doesn't matter as much as when they're full of row, which, no, you know, is just no. something we don't do in the, in, but, I want to say the taste, fall. Do they taste the same males and females? As far as I can tell, you know, we throw them all in a big chiapino type thing, like a big stew with a tomato broth yeah, yeah, yeah. or a bit of wine oh, or something. And it's fantastic. God, oh, don't, shut so up. Good. Oh, that's um, a, oh, sounds so amazing. The, and yeah, the crab, ahead, crab, obviously, crab, you got to have it. And I respect that. I know, I know that when I was in Tasmania, we really look forward to uh, uh, spiny rock lobster, you know, crayfish mm. season. Mm -hmm. And that's, and throwing out those cane traps and pulling them up. And it was just incredible. So crab crustacean, I get it. You yep. prepare it in a stew. I'm hungry already. What about yep. what about in the big blue? What are you pulling out of the sea that you look forward to every time you go to Mexico? Yeah. So this time of year, I don't even know if I should share this, but I will. Specifically, this time of year, the yellowtail run really, really thick through the northern north central Sea of Cortez. And if you find the right mm. locations, uh, and when I say yellowtail, what you guys call kingfish, not yellowfin tuna, not to be mistaken with yellowfin. Kingfish yellowtail is delicious. Kingfish. Yeah. Oh. And we, we clobbered them. I mean, we had a day, Johnny, who's, who's been on our pod. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's one of our main camera guys, myself and this other guy, Tommy, we went out just for a half day, just to, just cause we were, we were working some of the time, but just for a half day, mm. we went out to throw the boat in the water and run North. And I am not kidding when I say I must've seen over a half a million yellowtail. I mean, they were foaming wow. and boiling absolutely everywhere. There was huge, huge walls of bait. And so we, we snagged a few with the hook and line, which is always fun. But for me, I want to get in the water. So as soon as yeah. we had a couple, yeah, as soon as we had a few in the boat, I started suiting up, hopped in with the gun and it was just walls. I mean, just vortexes of these big yellowtail around. So, Incredible. um, yeah, I only actually only ended up shooting a couple, but I shot one really nice one, about 35 pounds, came straight in, started to quarter away. I lined up a perfect stone shot, pulled the trigger and just completely rolled him. Um, which is the best. And the reason I tell you how I killed the fish is because when they don't fight, they don't release a bunch of adrenaline, which goes into the meat. Exactly. It changes the flavor. It changes it the does. flavor. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so I was going to say, oh, sorry, go ahead, please. No, I was just going to say, we took this big fat boy, bled him straight away. It could him, which is where you put the rod down through the, through the brain and through the spine. So the nerves stopped firing, uh, gutted, mm. gilled, bled and iced him. So did everything that they do in Japan to sushi prep the fish. And then took him back and went nuts. I mean, we did everything. We did pokey. We did sushi rolls. We did uh, some some cooked, um, some seared. I mean, we just did it all up, and it was phenomenal. What uh, I want to come back to some several aspects of this because preparation and timing is so crucial uh, mm. when you're hunting um, for food. I should point out um, that the common knowledge for those that don't know it's it's but in the business when you're in survival. You know, 70 or 80% of what you're going to eat is going to be gathered and only a tiny percentage, 10 to 20% will be hunted. Um, But when you are hunting, these are the factors that separate, you know, survival from thriving, you know, and and from from basically getting through the day, sustenance through pleasure. And I feel it's always worth it to go to a little bit of extra effort like you are for clean kills and good preparation. Um, I remember I was, uh, I went barehanded hogging in, in South Georgia. And oh. we caught a couple of a couple of hogs, and uh, basically you bail them up with dogs, and you grab them, you flip them, you tie their ankles with a basically a shoelace, and you oh, drag wow. them back. But you don't huh. you don't kill them on the spot. You take them back, you put them in the pen, and then you feed them with domestic food waste, you know, mm. corn, lettuce, veggies, whatever. And some of that really strong gamey taste is eased. And particularly with the with the boars, you know, so that hmm. that patience, yeah, it's it's still a wild caught meal, but that patience delivers a far more enjoyable meal. Now, obviously, if you're starving, if it's a Lord of the Flies situation, you <laughs> eat what you can. But let me come back to to seasoning. Now, I'm just taking the family, so obviously you've got extra mod cons that you wouldn't normally have. You've got oh, a full yeah. boat crew, but let's just oh, assume yeah. you didn't have all that. Let's assume. That you're not you're not about to die. It's not some sort of death quest in the desert or in the jungle. But mm-hmm. you get out there and you don't have a lot of room in your pack. You've got to pack it all in. Yep. What would you say would be the essential seasonings? And you're going to possibly get some game, possibly get some seafood, uh, possibly, and you definitely get some some gathered fruits and veggies and and so on. What what seasonings would you take to make a wild caught meal taste as good as possible with as little effort and with taking up as little space in your kit? It's a good question. So I, I'm a purist when it comes to wild meats. I like things as pure and as clean as they can be. So what I like the most is just small complementary things. And what I mean by that is if I've got all my, all my katundu, all my guns and spear, spear, you know, wetsuits and mice and snorkels and all that, (laughs) and I'm just taking the bare minimum to cook, I'm taking soy sauce, just simple, nice pre Pre, pre-made wasabi, not the powdered stuff because it's too difficult to get the right consistency. I mean, a bit of pre-made are you, wasabi. Are you going to grate it on a rock? No, like not the live wasabi, like the like the cheap pre-made, like oh, in the, the tube. the paste, yeah. the paste. Okay, the, got the it. The paste, got exactly, it. So, yeah. Soy sauce and, and wasabi paste, got it. And I can, for me, that'll that'll account for 90% of the fish that I take. Because I usually, ta- I usually, if I'm hunting fish, I'm taking pelagics. If it's a pelagic, is you it's usually good eaten raw. You know, you don't yeah, want to yeah, eat grouper yeah. and halibut and things like that that sit on the bottom raw. But most of the fish that I hunt are pelagics. Now, if I had to just take one thing, one thing only that I could put on veggies, I could put on fish, I could put on red meat, I could even throw it on a little bit of like something like some cactus or something like that. Nothing too sweet. It is Chef Paul's blackened red fish magic. It's a it's a one stop shop blackened red. Fish magic. All right. Yeah. It's a one stop <laughs> shop. I don't, I, I, it's hard to find. I have to buy it online, but you yeah. can, you can do a little bit of seasoning and throw it on the grill and you just get some nice spices. You can absolutely soak the blooming thing in it and blacken the mm-hmm. fish and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Throw it in a sandwich, whatever. That Chef Paul, I don't know what he's done. There's a reason he weighs 700 pounds. It's because that guy knows his food. Because the flavors in that thing, yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I I I love that. I'm looked that up. Chef Paul's black and red season magic. Is that what it's called? Red redfish magic. So like redfish magic. I, it, yeah, like used to blacken redfish in the south, which is a very common dish in the south. Like black and oh yeah, black black and fish sandwiches are delicious in the south. I used to have yeah, a lot of them so in, in Georgia and and in um, you know what? There's a great place called Pepe's. It's the oldest eatery in uh, in. Um, Oh God, Key West, and oh, okay. it's you know, 
and they do an incredible black and fish sandwich. And I I didn't know what it was, obviously, as a non-American mm-hmm. and a non-Southerner. Although technically coming from Tasmania, I'm as Southern as you get. You are. But, so you're more Southern, yeah. <laughs> I would say if, it, if I could just take, uh, you know, the minimum thing I would take, I'm not a purist. Um, I'm a charismatic omnivore uh, with back and alien <laughs> leanings. I think the easiest thing to take is a garlic and and herb salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes with a lot of things, uh, veg, meat, fish, reptiles, yep. whatever. Yep. And then if I could take two things, I'd take a couple of lemons. And I'll tell yep. you why. Because lemon obviously is acid. It's great for curing meat and fish. You can make uh, a great ceviche. Obviously, it's cooking with acid, which is a really easy yep. thing to do. If you yep. don't have a fire... Um, you haven't got time for it. You can always just cut up the fish or whatever it is, put it in a little bag, uh, some sort of container, put in the lemon juice, leave it while you're hiking. And when you get to where you're going, you've got a, a great healthy meal. Kills a lot of bacteria. It's great for marinating meat. Um, I'm going to segue in another segment in a second about regrets and things you wouldn't eat. And I'll talk about <laughs> lemons there as well, how it saved the day for me. But also, uh, it's, it's a great uh, bug repellent. Uh, yeah. Even if you haven't used the lemon, sleep with one by your foot, one by your head. You won't get bitten by mozzies. If you are getting bitten by mozzies, put the juice into your water and drink that, and you'll stop getting bitten by mosquitoes. So I love lemons for for all those reasons. Um, and uh, so lemons and garlic and herb salt, those two things I think will get you through just about anything in the bush. When we when I did that Naked and Afraid show, I found some wild citrus, and I won't say it was a lemon because it wasn't. It wasn't an orange. I don't know what it was. It was some yeah, yeah, green. Sure. We'll call it a yeah. call it a call it a bush lemon. Yeah, exactly. Some wild citrus in Panama, and uh, that was how because we didn't have a fire for nearly ten days because of the rain. So um, oh, we I cooked everything. I just I would take coconuts, hollow them out, chop up some a bit of coconut flesh. I'd catch a fish, chop up a bit of fish flesh. They had these wild little oyster mushrooms, cut those up, throw them all in there, mix it together. And it was like it was like being on a, you know, gourmet outdoor survival or a cooking show. And they were just like, wait, you're seasoning it? And I was like, yeah, of course. I want it to taste good. I love that. Well, let's talk about let's talk about mushrooms just for a minute before I go to the next segment about regrets and horrors. I want to yeah. talk about mushrooms because you, you, you're obviously a committed mushroom pillager. You're out there Indeed. every season. And- and as soon as it rains, three, four days later, you got your snout in the in the grass and you're pulling out just, you know, just fungal gold. Um, Indeed. Just how long did it take you to become competent in mushroom identification? Or do you not feel confident outside of your home range? Um, so nobody should ever, ever, ever pick and eat a mushroom unless you're not a hundred, like 120% sure of what you're eating. Like sure. you shouldn't, if you have to be like, oh, I'm going to text my buddy. Is this a good mushroom? Throw it away. Don't even, don't text your buddy. Just throw it out if you're not sure. So yeah. my confidence came from, um, I got into mushroom hunting the same time as two of my buddies who now left their very successful careers in San Francisco to be full-time foragers and mushroom hunters. And that's all they mm. do, which is kind of, and they sell to gourmet, you know, Michelin restaurants in the city and blah, blah, blah. But they're just obsessed. And we all learned under a guy named David Aurora. So David Aurora literally wrote the book. Let's try to see if it, is this it? No, it's not this one. But um, he wrote the book called All the Ra- All That the Rain Promises and More. And he wrote oh, it's, it's the identification book for mushrooms in California. So I'm very, very confident, 100% confident in my regular eight or 10 species outside of that if i'm with guys that are much more knowledgeable than me and they're like yeah yeah this is good no problem i'll eat it if outside of that i won't touch it like not at all and there's certain mushrooms like cochra which a juvenile cochra is nearly indistinguishable from a death cap i mean they look that's that's terrifying it's terrifying and and cochra is delicious it's a fantastic eating mushroom but i just won't hunt for the juveniles because even though I would say I'm 99% sure 99% of the time that that's a juvenile cochra and that one's a death cap. When I look at them side by side, side by side, one nibble of the death cap by mistake, because it got in the basket somehow and that's it. It's all over. So 
Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's um, that's the thing about it. You don't make you don't make the second mistake. You make one no. mistake when you're dealing with right. those kind of intense toxins. Um, so do you, have you ever found a mysterious plant and and gone through the sequence of tests to see if it's edible and given it a go, or do you normally just steer clear and wait till wait till you get confirmation? I've played around with a few different things like the skin test, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah. rub it on your skin and see if you get an allergic reaction, hold it under your tongue and see if you get tingles and things like that. So I've played around a little bit, but not with stuff as potent as a death cap stuff like right. stinging nettle, for instance, right? Use stinging nettle tea, wonderful, horrible properties, delicious, blah, blah, blah. But if you put it on your sting, it skins a. Sh uh, it right. Put it on your skin, you have to boil it? Stings the shit it's, out of you. It's, it's, yeah. it's the young, the young fronds and it's, and it's boiled, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah you have to. That's you a have tricky one. That's a. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I. They can be great, but I think there are better stuff out there. But I agree, you can do it. So for those that don't know what Forrest is talking about, there is a sequence that we go through in survival. If you come across a a, a plant, a, a berry, or whatever, and it looks delicious, now there are certain giveaway things that you don't do. You know, yeah. you generally avoid things that are bright blue and really bright red. That's, and right. you, that's nature's way of saying, go fuck yourself. So exactly you, know, right. you, you, you tend to do that. But if you're hungry and like for, well, I'm doing all my bear work in Alaska, obviously I don't take food with me for the day if I'm a, just day tripping it because I don't want to attract anyone who smells whatever I've got to eat. And I want to <laughs> eat whatever else is eating. So I sweat the same and shit the same and piss the same. <laughs> and uh, a lot of berries, more berries than I've ever seen in my life. If you're there in, in spring and, and meat and even... Some places, late summer, yeah, your thimble berries, your salmon berries, blueberries, all sorts of things. Huckleberry. Berries I hadn't seen or that look similar but a little bit different. Like it's a blueberry, mm -hmm. but it's twice as big. And I go, okay, I don't know what you are. <laughs> so the test that we go through, and here's the tip. The test is you start with the back of your hand. Rub it on the back of your hand. It's pretty tough skin. No reaction in half an hour. Rub it on the inside of your wrist. Okay, no reaction there. Rub it uh, just around near your armpit. It's more sensitive skin. No reaction there. You rub it on your lip. And the full test should take two days uh, of just waiting for things to react. Rub it on your lip. Then you put it on your tongue. At any point, if there's redness, inflammation, swelling, itchiness, you stop. But there are times when you can get all the way to the test where you nibble a little bit and then you wait a few hours to see if you're feeling bad and you don't have a huge reaction. You eat a few and all of a sudden mm -hmm. it's, it's going through you like a goose. You know, yep. and you just this 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 torrent, this this torrent of of umbiliquid bursting from the dam between your butt cheeks. <laughs> that doesn't mean that it's it's poisonous. It can just mean that your body's not used to it. However, diarrhea is one of the things that'll kill you in the bush because yeah. massive dehydration and so forth. So anything that gives you dehydration gives you diarrhea in significant quantities. If it's not too bad, it's a little bit of diarrhea, try it again the next day. But if you're getting consistent diarrhea, that'll kill you as quickly as just about anything else when you've got no support. But that's the basic uh, sequence of, of, of testing. Um, and I've, I've, I've found some berries that I could identify, and then I came back and I told some of the Klingit, and they went, oh, yeah, that's blah, 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 you idiot. They're, they're great. <laughs> but, you know, again, you don't know. Um, it's a tricky game. Hey, Roasters, thank you for being loyal subscribers. We appreciate everything that you do. And now we have a membership offer for you. I think you can get ad-free episodes, I heard. That's pretty big. Ad-free is big, but you can also get your comments looked at so we don't have to sift through the millions. How do you do that? Yes, is there some sort of badge system? There's a badge system, a loyalty badge. <laughs> Boom. Shows up next to your name in the comments. Boom. We read the comment. All this badge talks. Make, I'm going to the badge store. He's going to You're get a badger. badger. He's going he's gonna to buy one. Didn't earn it. He's going to buy one. He did a fake leave. <laughs> well, I assumed Kyle would know to cut on the motion. <laughs> All right, let's cut now. That's, that's our ad. What I want to get onto now is um, regrets. Have you ever... <laughs> <laughs> eat, eat I hope you something. got a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give you I'll give an example of, of this is genuine shame. And I'll give you two incidents. One, I was in Nicaragua and I was really enjoying these Nicaraguan langoustines out of this lake. Mm -hmm. And um, love langoustine. Giant shrimp type thing. They do it really simple with garlic and a few seasonings. And I could just eat them by the by the bag. I mean, they're just incredibly good. And then they they offered me this thing called Pushquintle. And, and I figured it was a, a, a rabbit or something, and I went, yeah, fine. It was very bony. I, it could have been a rat. I wasn't sure. 
and I did the right thing and I ate it and it was, eh, it was nothing special, a lot of little bones in it. Um, and then I found out it was a parka, which was an animal that mm. I was advocating as part of a, a new zoological collection that said, put these guys in. They're like a giant guinea pig, dark color, beautiful white spots down their flanks. And they'll be active in the exhibit uh, at night. So you can use the same space for two animals. It'll be stimulating, be fun to watch. And I felt like I felt like a dick because I'd advocated for this animal and now I was just shoving it down my face. <laughs> Similar thing, I was running a survival course back when I was a paratrooper. And so if the plane crashes or it gets shot out of the sky, we have to get out early. We don't have, it's not like the movies. We don't have all our kit on mm-hmm. the whole time we're in the plane because we might be in there for many hours. So about an hour out from target, we start putting on our rigs with uh, combat gear. Everything is put back on. Until that time, we're just sleeping and farting and doing what <laughs> soldiers do. So the drill is if, if the plane is shot down and you got to jump out early and you haven't got your combat gear and all you have is a parachute, you know, how do you survive? And what's the drill? The basic drill is you make your way to a water course, you follow it to the sea, and that's where you get picked up by the Navy. But let's be honest have no other job other than eating ice cream during the war. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what we would do. Obviously, I'm joking. Um, but that's what we would do. So the, the survival course was a rehearsal of a scenario of getting out of a plane early, not knowing where you are, not having any equipment. And most of the time, we, we got onto this brackish water and we, we were eating lots of, of eels, lots of short-finned eels, mm-hmm. which are okay. And the best thing about them is they're super greasy. And so you get that, that fat. I'm not saying yeah. I would order in a restaurant, but you got this fat and and once you've cooked the eel and you eat the flesh or whatever, you then got the fat to cook other things in, which I thought mm-hmm. was was a terrific bonus. Fishy though? Um, fishy fishy fat? Did it leave a residue and a flavor or not really? Was it yeah, quite clean? Uh, no, no, it wasn't clean. It was, you know, yeah, this is a muddy <laughs> eel, you know. Sure. It, it's it wasn't clean. As I said, it's not a top-notch thing. Um, but but it was it was sustaining, it was protein. Um and and it got us through, so I was very happy. To, and they're easy to catch. You know, eels are voracious. They're pretty easy to hook. Uh, yep. And your little, if you obviously always try to carry a fish hook with you, usually yep. bigger than you need because you can use it for many other things. So that's what was going on. Um, but the low point and something that I regret to this day, and I wasn't there when it happened, but some of the some of the the paratroopers had taken their bayonets and they'd carved up, you know, some some branches and made some pretty impressive spears. And then they'd gone into wombat burrows and flushed out wombats and they Hmm. speared and killed a wombat, which is against the law. Um, So don't go doing that. And I I regret it, but now it was dead and I came upon the scene and I'm like, you know, it's illegal to kill a native wombat. You can't do that, Sure, but it's already dead. I'm like, well, it's already dead. We might as well eat it, do the right thing by it. So, Again, we had some something similar to what you had, some bush lemons. It was yep. a very strong gamey taste, even though it's a herbivore. I don't recommend the taste. It was, it was, I remember the only thing comparable, I remember eating seal uh with the Klingon in Alaska at a, at a potlatch dinner, and the, the seal tasted like it tasted like venison and tuna had a baby. Yeah. I, yeah, it that's was gross. And it was so strong that I was given some seal meat that was cooked, not even raw, cooked. And I put it in the fridge, and the next morning everything tasted like seal meat. So Ugh. not 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 really my cup of tea. But no. the wombat was very similar, super gamey taste. We took some bush lemons, marinated this meat, and it's like a drumstick with a hand on it. So that was kind of off-putting. And I ate that, and the bush lemon saved it. Did I like it? Hmm. No. But I I regret killing and eating a wombat. It's a purely yeah. emotional thing. It's also yep. illegal. Um, but at, what about you? Have there been things that you've you've eaten that you just went, I wish I hadn't done that, or it wasn't, or it made me feel sick, or whatever reason? No, plenty, plenty, plenty. Yeah, and I I love wombats. We talked on the pod on our podcast, Wild Times, recently. Everybody said what their fantasy pet would be. Mine's a wombat. I want a wombat. Really? Pet. I would you know love they, to have one. You know they you know they just go bizarre when they they reach sexual maturity. It's a complete yeah. mental. I, I remember we had some rescued southern hairy nose wombats. Mm-hmm. And uh, they reached a certain age and they were put out in this thing called the sanctuary. It's just 200 yeah. hectares of reclaimed bushland. And I went out there to see them and I'd scratch their bellies and everything before. Everything. And then, uh-huh. and the Southern hairy nose is probably the most attractive wombat because it's got sure. that hairy nose. It's a big size, yep. but it's yep. multicolored. It has these splotches yep. of different colors. Um, mm-hmm. Unlike the common wombat and the Northern hairy nose, which of course is incredibly rare. And 
this thing just tried to rip off my calf muscle. Oh, I mean, really? It, just, it was yeah, aggressive. Oh, interesting. It, once, once they get to sexual maturity, it's like chimps. Um, mm. y- you know, it's once they get to sexual maturity, it's just a complete personality yeah. change. Anyway, we yeah. love wombats. But go on. What, uh, what, did you, what, what horrific uh, culinary misdeeds have you committed? Yeah, I've got, I've got a few. One, one that's really funny. Uh, this is quite a good story. So with those same group of mushroom guys I mentioned, we had a spectacular morel season up in the high Sierras. Morels grow mm. after a fire, after a burn. And so we went up there. We picked all day. We each got, I don't know, 50, 100 pounds of morels, you know, more than we could wow. love. Huge backpacks full. Um, up back and forth to the car, super steep terrain. We're exhausted at the end of the day. And so we're driving back towards the Bay Area. It's like a four-hour drive, and we're, we're leaving at like 6 o'clock at night. And uh, there's a little pizza joint on the side of the road. And we're like, oh, let's stop and get a pizza. It sounds so good. So we roll in there. We're covered in ash and soot head to toe from rummaging around in this burn area, mm. getting these burn morels. We must look a sight, and there's four of us. And uh, uh, I go, <laughs> hey, we got all these fresh morels. Let's get some on the pizza, right? And for those that don't know, an undercooked morel is toxically poisonous, and a cooked morel is one of the most delicious things you can eat. See, I didn't know that. I thought morels were good to eat no matter what. I would have put it on my no. salad. You not told me that. Oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And uh, so we roll in there, and, and uh, we go and chat to the guy, and we're like, oh, you know, we're going to have these pizzas. And I say to him, I'm like, do you think you could throw some morels on top of the pizza? And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course. And we assume that that means that the morels are going to go into the pizza oven with the rest of the pizza. But as we came to find out, it did not. So we, oh, we no. have we have this delicious pizza ah, with what ah, looks ah, like cooked morels ah, on it, and everybody's ah, celebrating ah, this incredible haul. And we're back in the car, and you know this is a group of guys, very friendly. Everybody's chatting away, and uh, thirty minutes go by, and the car gets very, very quiet, just completely silent, and yeah. uh, nobody's saying anything. And about another fifteen minutes go by, and my buddy Ricardo goes, "Hey, uh, Brian, can you can you pull over? I, I'm I'm not feeling so good." Oh no! And then uh, <laughs> he pulls over. Uh, uh, and Ricardo gets out 10 seconds later, he's just just projectile vomiting and we're all feeling sick. And it just was a, it was just a chain reaction where went Ricardo, Brian Carter. And there's like, as soon as we saw the other one puking, everybody starts puking except for me. So three guys are bent over on the side of the road, puking their brains out. And I'm sitting there as green as grass, trying to puke to get it out of my system. And, uh, they're, they're gonna make they would they made such fun of me for this afterwards but i was like standing next to them and i was like i need to smell your puke to help me puke because i was trying, <laughs> i'm like trying Sympathy to pull the trigger yeah, yeah, sniffing, yeah. sniffing piles of puke on the ground to try and go and it took like an extra 40 minutes while they were all like oh my god i feel so much better you went and you I went was, tempted to just taste a little bit of puke to just oh, set it off it it was <laughs> yeah but it <laughs> it finally <laughs> happened and i i i blew some big old chunks and then felt better but that was that was one of a couple times that I've uh, I've eaten undercooked morels and felt terrible. The other oh, time, man. which is quite a fun story, you'll like this one. We're working in Myanmar, and we have this this guy named Somos, our fixer there, and the food's terrible. I don't know if you've been to Myanmar, but at least in no, super I, I rem- sponsored a, I sponsored the uh, the uh, Badaga Badaga Recovery Project in Mandalay, oh, but cool. I didn't actually go there. Yeah, yeah. Well, in super remote rural Myanmar where we were, the food was absolutely terrible. And we'd we'd eaten everything, you know, these little tiny whole fried fish and chicken yeah, feet yeah, yeah. and all the gross stuff. Um, and uh, one, one day we're sitting around and uh, Somo brings us dinner and we're like, oh, my God, this is delicious. And the whole crew, there's like eight of us. We're like, this is the best oh, meal. This is going to be good. Oh, no. Yeah. We're like, this is the best meal, not just not just in Myanmar. Like, this is one of the best meals I've ever had. And so Mitchell finally goes, Somo, what is it? And he goes, it's Doug. We're like, excuse me? It's like, it's Doug. We're like, it's dog? It's like, yeah, Doug. And we're oh, like, I thought you said duck. So stay tuned. And we're like, holy shit. Like, literally, Mitch, like, throws his food down. He's like, it's dog? He's like, and Somo is like, yes, Doug. And we're like... Fuck, are you kidding me? It's dog, and like everybody's freaking out. Like one of the crew members starts crying. It's like a whole thing. Like I was just like, eh, no. like I ate it. I mean, there's nothing I'm gonna do about it now. And uh, so I'm like, Somo, you can't feed us dog. And he's like, No, no, dog good, dog good. And I'm like, No, it's not good. Like you can't feed it to us. Oh, and, and then man. he goes, Come, come, I show you, come. And I'm like, Fuck, like do I tell the guys? Like, do I do I show them? And and uh, 
he goes, come, come, I show you Doug. And uh, I'm like, fuck, all right. And I grab Mitch. I'm like, Mitch, come here. He's going to show us the other dogs. You know, like, we'll, we'll let him go or something or pay him to release yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. I don't even know. And so we walk up over this hill and there's like, it's like rolling hills. And there's another hill and he like whistles or something. And this duck sticks its head up and oh, goes like this. Duck. And he goes, see, duck, duck, good, duck, good. Oh, and we're like, my God. not one of us said thought duck in our head we all no. thought he was saying dog yeah well, well particularly the big chunk i i almost killed your punchline there my apology i didn't know the story oh, but, no, you're but good. no that's well it's two things to that you're discussing anything that's that's kind of essential pleasure it doesn't matter whether it's it's intimacy or eating anything you, you're taking in your body you're consuming it's yep. a physical pleasure it's an emotional decision and and it, it affects you know i'm not going to go into what is selective morality and saying that these people can eat what they want, but I'm not going to eat that. That's just personal choices. I don't really care right. whether you're a right, uh, exactly. you know, whether you're a proselytizing vegan or a filthy carnivore. I'm I'm an omnivore, and I, I'll try to think. But there are certain things I don't care to eat for purely emotional reasons, and I just own it. And one of those is I would not choose to eat a dog. Right. Um, I, I would though if I was starving and my family was starving, I would absolutely sure. eat a dog. Sure. Um, my first paying job when I was a kid, was shooting rabbits. Uh, oh, rabbits cool. was, were an introduced mm-hmm. pest in Australia. and big, um, big problem in Australia. Massive problem. And they would pay, I want to say, I can't remember the, the price now. I think it was like $1.50 a pair, $1.20 a pair. And they had to be headshot so you didn't ruin the cuts of meat. And I had my little oh, twenty-two rifle and go out spotlighting. And you put them in a pair and and then they you bring them all into the abattoir in the morning and they pick through what they like and... Anyway, it's it's it it was reasonable money at the time, and you know something sure. to do while you're on vacation, reduce the pestiferous rabbit population, make a little bit of money. Many years later, and I've eaten rabbit countless times. Many yeah. years later, I ended up getting a pet rabbit. I was traveling a lot for work, <laughs> yeah. and I wanted something in my house. I didn't have the time or at home to justify having a dog or even a cat. I didn't want fish or a turtle, so I, yeah. I got a rabbit, and I house trained it, and it. Free range uh-huh. around the house and and ever since then i i can't eat rabbit i just can't yep. and yep. i don't have to justify it it's just an emotional yep. thing um but that's yeah that's the way it is getting back to your puke story it's a funny thing a lot of things in the movies like whenever i watch a war movie and i'm one of those jerks that i gotta stop the movie and go no no we don't do it like that <laughs> and, and, and it's just so upsetting i my wife you know, quite rightly never wants to watch a war film with me but one of the sure. things you never see on television everyone's standing by the door about to jump out paratroopers or whoever going to get out the plane they all look super handsome and in reality we've all got the fear sweats we feel like yeah, crap. Oh yeah, for the sure the weight of what we're carrying is just You're so slouched yeah oh the weight is crushing i remember doing various jobs when i was carrying my own body weight in kit on a big unit so it's just killing you and you just want to yep. get out of the plane the pilots i mean they're always awesome but they also suck that they tilt the plane even five degrees i remember one time they tilted the plane five degrees because the running was wrong and my signalman went down onto the rollers in a you know the c-130 has these big cargo rollers and just tore his knee in half and oh. we're just about to drop and so the jump masters had to literally cut his line and roll him to the side. Um, but the point is, a lot of guys get air sick. Um, you get the sweats, you're all can up, everyone's farting and all the rest of it. But <laughs> they have these pillars near the cargo rollers, and they we ziplock these giant trash bags to these 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 pillars, and okay. it's all up the aircraft. And um, that's because someone's going to vomit, and when yep. they do. The guy next to him is going to vomit in sympathy, and then you've got thirty or full load. You know, sixty-four paratroopers puking. The funniest one I've ever seen was just a training jump, clean skin, no combat gear, like actually fun. And we had a bit of wind, and so we're circling and we're circling and we're circling. And uh, the green, uh, the red light had gone on the thirty-second warning, and then it went, and then and then it never went to green. I'm like, oh my God. And, we're, and there's some guys who are frightened and they had some admin guys who don't normally jump with us and they were there okay. to sort of recertify their wings. And this guy behind me, who was a bit of a tourist, you know, he was intelligence <laughs> corps. He wasn't one of us. He takes his helmet off because he's just sweating. You know, he's, he's yeah. frightened and he's, he's not yeah. feeling good. And he's just like, is this ever going to be over? And the guy behind him vomits into his helmet. No and way. Then, <laughs> yes. And then the red light goes on. He's got to put it on because we got 30 seconds. 
and oh. and then and then we didn't go. And so we oh. air landed, and he had. To, it was the best moment. I'm not saying the best <laughs> of my entire military career, but it's one that I <laughs> I relish to this day. Um, so getting That's back funny. to this point about you know just things you won't eat. Uh, is there a list of things that you would just not put in your mouth or that you wouldn't, uh, except for extreme circumstances? Because you strike me as someone who would try pretty much anything. Yeah, I would, but I I would never eat like a major carnivore. You know, these guys that go out and shoot bear and they're like, oh, bear's yeah. good eats. I'm like, shut up. No, it's not. You know, like is it I know you can eat it. It doesn't mean it's good eating, you know, and those are two different things. Is but it the rarity me, that makes it taste good to them? Because I know that's in some parts of the world, scarcity equals uh, pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I think I think all over the world, right? That's expensive yeah. things, rarity, whatever makes you think it's desirable. Sure. But caviar, um, whatever. I don't know. I I don't. I would never eat anything critically endangered. I'd never eat it by choice. You know, I have sure. I eaten something critically endangered? Probably. I wouldn't sure. be surprised if on. One of my expeditions, I'd been fed fish of something that's, you know, never yeah. been described or there's less than 500 of them left or whatever, but I don't know about it. So I would never by choice eat a carnivore, a big cat, a bear, um, you know, anything. Pretty critically horrific, the smell of yeah. those. Horrible. Well, I wouldn't eat a fox. Um, no, just sis, be, man, just horrible. Be, or, or any mustelids, you know, I just no. wouldn't. I mean, it would literally just be like licking a toilet brush. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The smell of no, being disgusting. I know, I know with bear hunting, it's interesting because I spend most of my time on Kutznamu, as you know, and there are no black mm-hmm. bears because the brown bears are kill them and all eat them all. Right. But, but when there were black bears in that region, and there are inside the Mendenhall range because mm-hmm. the, the brown bears were killed off by the humans, and so the black bears had returned to eat the berries and whatever. Interesting. The, the, the Native Americans, Native Alaskans that I spoke to about bear hunting and bear eating they say they only ever would eat the black bears while they were still suckling, so the cubs. So it's kind of like the milk-fed veal of, 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 of bears. I mean, and I'm like, that doesn't appeal to me at all. Yeah. But, I, but at least I appreciate that they're thinking, I'm hunting this for food. When yeah. will it taste the best? Which gets back to what I'm saying. Next level of survival is knowing how to make things taste delicious rather than just, I need protein, I need carbs, I need fiber, I need water. Uh, That shows a lack of imagination preparation to me. And it's so interesting when you go to different locations around the world based on the abundance of food available. Like if you go to Africa, most of Southern Africa, the Africans there, like the the local people, they would never even dream of eating a scorpion or eating a rock dasi or some of these small game things. And then you go to Southeast Asia and the Asians are like, oh, scorpion, a small grub, you know, like a, a cat. They eat cats, like small wild jungle cats. And right. like an African person would never consider eating well, a cat. Italy, yeah. Italy, uh, they tiny little songbirds. Are right, considered exactly. A, yep. I don't, yeah. I struggled to get a meal out of quail. I couldn't even <laughs> imagine uh, right. eating something as small as a robin or a sparrow. I don't understand that at all. There's nothing there. Yeah, there's nothing there. Know, but it's it's yeah. interesting. Uh, I remember one of the nice experiences I got. I've had many, and know you have as well, with uh, indigenous people learning about uh, native foods and wild foods. Of course, and obviously it's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was in northern Australia. It was supposed to be the wet season, but it hadn't come, so it's just stinking hot and dry. Mm-hmm. And we had we normally carry a ton of water, and we still had a ton on us on the man, but we're getting through it in the heat. And instead of there being an abundance of rainwater to, to gather, there was nothing. These little brackish, muddy puzzles, and they're full of little, you know, gribblies and things that are just going to give you instant dysentery. You know, yeah. uh, thermonuclear diarrhea. Turn your anus <laughs> into a venturi. You know. And so, <laughs> I remember one of the tips I got from some of the locals was that uh, we used to those days. We didn't have some of the great pump filters like the MSRs that I use today. Sure. Um, yeah we had what's called a Milbank filter. It's basically a sock-shaped piece of fabric with a couple mm-hmm. of layers to it. You pour the brackish water in, it drips into your water bottle mm-hmm. or your canteen or whatever. And then we still wouldn't trust that we would still pop in the Puri tab so it, it tastes like warm swimming pool, right? Yep. Anyway, and the guy said, no, no, no. A, that's disgusting, but that's fine if you want to do that to stay, avoid getting really sick. He said, but then what you do is you go over to these green tail weaver ants and look, 
they sting like the dickens, but you grab a handful, <laughs> you clap them in your hand, which sort of stuns them, and then you shove them in your mouth immediately and just crunch down. And their little butts are full of ascorbic acid. Mm-hmm. And it gives you this intense lemon blast. Lemon drop. Then, yeah. <laughs> then you then you drink then you drink that uh, that you know that warm that that tepid slush that you put through the filter and the pyrotaps the chlorine taste and suddenly it tastes refreshing. And yeah. <laughs> so the first part is survival. The second part is thriving. I'll tell you something funny. When I went back home to Australia uh, a year or three ago, they're now packaging boutique bottles of gin with <laughs> green tail weaver ants in it oh you're kidding that's like right. a thing so, now that's so interesting so, yeah it's like so 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 what is obscure survival tricks can become gourmet in the right hands and look i i would say if i was going to give i'll ask you to give one after i'm done if i'm going to give one i've given a couple of tips already from my point of view you know um you know garlic and herb salt a lemon if you can afford to take it uh, great for seasoning things, great for insect repellent, great for a lot of stuff. Um, but the other big tip I would give everybody is take some sort of light aluminium camp pot, a small one. Boiling stuff is the great way to pure, better than any pure filter or whatever you got. Yeah, uh, for sure. It's, uh, but here's the big tip. If you do catch something, you're eating it, whether it's got shells or scales or whatever, or cartilage or particularly bones, is the big tip is once you've eaten the good part, whether it's a frog or a rat, doesn't really matter. <laughs> when you when you're done, put it in a small amount of water and boil it, and mm-hmm. then get rid of it. And now you've got you know nutrient broth. rich mm-hmm. broth, and that is the biggest tip I would give to to most people moving into the bush and wanting to be uh, you know basically be able to subsist off the wild for a short period of time is is boiling is the least glamorous of all of all cooking. Right. But trust me, you boil everything with a frame, whether it's a carapace yep. or a skeleton, yep. and you will get a nutritious broth that will exactly. sustain you uh, exactly. between meals because you're not going to catch that rat every day. Um, I, I, have a, I have a tip for people on survival, and this is something that I always, always have with me, whether we're down in Baja with the family or whether I'm on a shoot or whatever. I have a survival pot, and it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a little kit. It's one of those lightweight aluminum msr pots with the lid and the little latch that goes over it in that pot i have fishing line with one hook Mm -hmm. i have a fire starter i have a compass um i have a bag of salt because you can always salt food if you can't get a fire going Um, salting drying food is genius because it is feast and famine you catch you catch eight fish today and none for the rest of the week yep salting is brilliant Mm mm-hmm I have a small blade, just a little knife this big, and uh, that's because you remember the BTG rule: never carry a knife bigger than your dick, otherwise that's you're it, a fraud. Yeah. And so for me, it's like you know, uh, <laughs> and uh, and then I have one of those space blankets in case you know, which you can use for anything. You can make the roof of a shelter. You can do anything. Oh, and some paracord. That's the other thing. And and a, about I love 50 I love feet of I love paracord. Making rope out of grass is easy but time consuming. If Very. you can knock up some stuff quickly with paracord and then if you have time and access to long grass you may not but if you do (laughs) you can you can take your paracord back and replace it with handmade ropes uh you can watch a youtube video it literally is simple as gathering grass of sort of six inches or longer and twisting it it's super easy i i love that survival kit the other other thing i would add if you have a chance in nowadays you can get little tiny solar panels which Mm -hmm. uh which you can charge your phone which you can use for safety and a little piece of plastic which you can use to sweat the water out of leaves if you're really desperate for yeah, little but plastic I, but bag. I, but I love that. Here's a here's a moral question. Many cultures, as you know, uh, Zamara in, in New Guinea um, and uh, numerous other tribes, it's a matter of, of 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 courtesy or even religious practice to eat their own dead. Where do you draw the line with cannibalism? In a heartbeat, no problems <laughs> at all. You know, I wouldn't even think twice about it. There's eight billion of us. We're not critically endangered. I've heard we, I've heard we talk, we taste like pork. I'd, I'd give land pig a little shot, no problem. Which, How about which, you? Uh, which, which cut would be your favorite land pig cut? Because I mean, I got to be honest. I would probably just take it easy. I would be going straight for the big fleshy haunches. I'd probably go more for the buttocks because the most tasty meat is next to the fat. Where are you going? 
it's got to be a rump steak. It's it's got to yeah. be where what else? I don't want to I don't want a stringy bicep or a a big yeah, big yeah, yeah. dense thigh. And keep in mind if you're if you're eating cannibalistically, it's probably not some overweight you know chubby guy who's been sitting on the couch fattening himself no. up all. Yeah. No, it's you're an eating a stringy person. little bugger. Yeah, yeah, a human pretzel. I think that's, <laughs> that's I mean, I'd, I'd love to have the skills to make belly bacon, but I haven't got time to cure stuff like that out in the bush. I I think I think the Boston butt is is the cut. And you pack it in mud straight yeah. into the coals. I mean, no I don't know, but yeah, no I, I wouldn't. I would never advocate. Obviously, I don't agree morally with killing people, eat them. But if someone had died naturally and you were starving or required to eat it as a as a cultural uh, courtesy, I, I I don't have a problem with it. But again, I'm not going to judge you if you do because what you put in your body is your choice. I could give a shit. Um, <laughs> Forrest, mate, it's always great to talk to you. Uh, yeah, I gotta get I gotta get a hold of some of those. Uh, those platinum grade mushrooms. And I, That's it. and thank you for telling me about morels. You got it. I did not know you had to cook them. I had no idea. You saved me an almighty projectile vomiting session. Yeah. And it's not fun. So don't go eating them raw. I've got a ton of mushrooms, dehydrated, frozen, you name it with your name on it. Anytime you want them, bro. Oh, mate. I appreciate it. All right, Bushmasters, that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Forrest, for coming along. I appreciate it, as always. This has been Semi-Indestructible. Uh, it's produced in partnership with Wild Times Podcast and sponsored by Adventure Beast, the animated wildlife comedy series now streaming Netflix worldwide. Next week, we're talking about pain and how to manage it. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Bushmasters, remember, life is short. Death is forever. Get amongst it. <laughs>